It is important and refreshing to receive a journal like Sources. I rely on Sources for a deeply informed and well-curated collection of essays responding to current events and issues in contemporary Jewish life. Hi, I'm Claire Sufrin, editor of Sources, a journal of Jewish ideas. We get in-depth information from noted scholars, often in dialogue with one another, which is not to say always in agreement. In the newly released spring issue, scholars examine the theme of Jewish life tomorrow, reimagining key Jewish concepts for the present and future. Read, reflect, and subscribe to the award-winning journal at sourcesjournal.org. Hi, it's July 12th, 2020. I'm Tal Becker, Senior Fellow at the Shalom Hartman Institute here in Jerusalem, and this is For Heaven's Sake, a new podcast by Hartman's I Engage project. On each episode of For Heaven's Sake, Daniel Hartman, President of the Institute, and myself break down a contemporary issue of Israeli life that's central and challenging to both Israel and the Jewish world, and then Ilana Steinhain, Director of Hartman's Faculty in North America, will explore with us how Jewish classical sources can enrich our understanding of the issue. For heaven's sake, it's not about talking politics or taking sides. It's about trying to articulate the most morally serious versions of all the sides of the argument, whether we agree with them or not, so that we can talk to each other, listen to each other, and strengthen Jewish peoplehood. We will focus on the values and ideas underlying an issue and not on their particular political manifestation. Our aim is to deepen engagement with Israel, to foster greater tolerance and understanding across tribal and political divides, to discover a values consensus wherever possible, and most significantly, to explore what Israel can mean in the life of Jews around the world. So thank you for listening, and let's dive right in. This week, episode two of For Heaven's Sake, The Paradox of Power. You know, Donil, it's great to be with you again. You know, when you listen to the news over the last years, there's like these consistent reports of Israel's bilateral relationships with countries around the world improving in Asia, in Africa, um, in Latin America, and even in the Middle East. And when you listen to Prime Minister Netanyahu, there's one big reason for this, and that's Israel's strength, Israel's abilities in things like cyber tech, um, green tech, intelligence and security. In other words, we are a powerful country, we're a powerhouse, and that is the metric of our success. It's our ability, it's our strengths that enable us to have uh, both friends and influence our neighbors, but also to improve the welfare of Israel. And yet at the same time, so much of the conversation about Israel uh, isn't about its power, but it's about its morality. It's about whether it's living up to certain standards. When you listen to the debate around the application of sovereignty or annexation, about religious pluralism in Israel, about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, it's as if the metric of whether Israel is doing well or not isn't its power, but its morality. And what we wanted to do today about this idea of the paradox of power is look at the tension between those two uh, things. Power on the one hand, not always associated with morality, but it has a moral component to it. And this idea of Israel, not just the Jewish people returning to the world, state, world stage in a state of their own, but also if you read our Declaration of Independence, living up to some core moral principles and the relationship between uh, those two. So I'd like to begin the conversation, Doniel, about this idea of the paradox of power by asking you, 
Make a moral case for power. Make a moral case for Jewish power. I know that makes might, might make some people feel uncomfortable, but I feel like we can't let this assumption necessarily that power is, by definition, something problematic kind of rest without developing this idea. Uh, fair enough. I have, I love power. <laughs> I love power. And it's part of the things that I love the most about Israel. And part of what made, I remember when I made Aliyah as a child, the, the sense that we could now defend ourselves or even more that I was going to become a defender. I was, I all of a sudden have power. Um, I think the whole sovereignty move of the Jewish people and Jewish statehood is um, to relinquish any ambivalence about power. Mm. It's to give up on the notion that I would rather be moral and dead than to be alive. Or moral and powerless, let's say. Moral, yeah, but moral and, are you correct, moral and suffering. I'd rather be the, the righteous sufferer um, um, on that. Uh, just, I think the, the, the decision of Zionism is that we are going to embrace power. And on the one hand, we feel and recognize the core moral legitimacy of that power. But I think part of the claim is that we're going to return to statehood and we're going to know that sometimes our hands are going to be dirty. And that if you don't want to have your hands dirty, get out of the statehood business. And I think part of our decision is a willingness, yes. Um, you know, and I, I remember on the most personal level, you know, as a tank commander, you are responsible to give the order fire. Right. What could be more? You you put a fire. Now, is it always going to be in the right case? No. You know, Daniel, what let me why is it okay? Why is it okay to get your hands dirty? Some people say that the thing that that made it an imperative is the Holocaust, is the experience of Jewish persecution that kind of ended the discussion about whether we could be moral and 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 powerless because we as you said we want to be moral and live, right? But isn't isn't it a bit more than that? Isn't the idea here that power is a, itself a force for good when used well. It's itself a moral thing. I, I agree with you, but I think that trivializes, as I'm, think, as, I, as I'm hearing you, I think that trivializes the tension a little bit. Because, of course, the use of power is morally required because self-preservation is a moral imperative. Self-preservation is not amoral and it's not immoral. It's a moral responsibility. But the dilemma of sovereignty is to what extent the world of realpolitik is something that you accept as a feature of your life. It's going to be there. Now, the question then becomes, um, what are its limits? But I am more frightened. The minute power is always justified under moral terms, then there's yeah. never a moral critique because yeah. it's, it's, it's morality versus morality. I would much prefer us recognizing that to be a people to return to statehood in this neighborhood, we have to inevitably recognize that mistakes are going to be made, that certain decisions are going to be necessary for realpolitik. They're going to be necessary, not merely only in pure life and death dilemmas. When it comes to life and death, yeah. life is simple or morality is simple. Yeah. But Donnell, before we get to this question of how dirty your hands can get, right? How often do I have to wash my hands uh, Corona style uh, when I'm sovereign? Uh, I think there is room a little bit more to, to say something about 
the, the moral force of power precisely because there is a kind of a trend in certain places to see power itself as associated with injustice and, and, and victimhood as associated with justice necessarily. And I, I think that the, the case for power, Jewishly speaking, historically speaking, is to say that, you know, there probably isn't a, a greater argument you could make for power being just than for power being in the hands of the Jewish people from a historical perspective. Obviously, how they use that power is very important. But I would say that that kind of, in a way, Israel stands for this idea that power is not a vice, it's a responsibility, right? And it also stands for the flip side of this, which you sometimes do hear, uh, this idea that, that victimhood is some kind of virtue, right? Now, I think victims deserve our sympathy, but victimhood is not something that sovereignty embraces. Victimhood is something you try to overcome. And I think Israel as an idea actually stands against that notion. And it creates a certain tension with the Jewish story because the Jewish story has had such a focus and Jewish tradition has such a focus on what is owed to the victim. And, and here we're kind of pushing against it. See, I agree with you, Tal. And, I, you know, just like they speak about how those who are transnationalists usually function and are living in very stable national um, right. entities, those who idealize uh, powerlessness are usually those who have a lot of power and have the right to do so. But I, um, what I'm wondering is that I have no doubt, and I think this is morally clear, that the exercise of power and the right of the Jewish people to defend themselves and to use power is a moral imperative. What I'm arguing is that, is that trivial? Yeah. And not only is it trivial, I'm asking, is it even destructive? Because if we always associate and give that argument, I don't want to be a victim, especially through the lens of the Holocaust, that means anything that we do through the lens of the Holocaust becomes a moral imperative. And then we have a get out of jail card forever. In Israel, the famous statement, nobody's going to teach us ethics. And I ask, I very often turn to his face, why is no one going to teach you ethics? Why? Because you died in the Holocaust? Auschwitz gives us a get out. Listen, I was at Auschwitz. I'm saying for Auschwitz now, everything. I would rather push the serious discourse, not about the moral legitimacy of self-defense. That I think I, I'm with you 100%. And, and very often you're right, it tends to be belittled, especially when someone is six to 10,000 miles away and doesn't feel the threats that you're facing. So yeah. what happens? So you can have the technical questions of how do you respond when missiles are fired from Gaza? Is it legitimate to defend yourself? Not. And then we would say to somebody, what would you do if someone's firing? But I want to, but I think. Yeah, I get you. I get you. Part of our I, challenge is that we're just going too far. We're saying yeah. now because of the Holocaust, Right. Jewish power, so, it's the most right. moral thing, and we're fine all the right. time. So before, no. we go, before we go all the way into the other direction, Daniel, I do want to say something. Yes, okay, um, it's not just about the Holocaust. We can make the case that power is a moral good. It's a moral necessity even. Uh, before we go to the other way to talk about the restraints, I want to talk about this kind of space in the middle here, which is this question about when you as a state begin to ask yourself what is morally required here in ways that go beyond what is the welfare and safety of your own citizenship? Uh, you know, how can I do good for the world? If you ask yourself those bigger questions, aren't you somehow betraying or intention with that first obligation? 
right? Imagine if, you know, let's take arm sales, for example, right? So, so uh, arm sales are a source of big revenue, you could argue, or some other act you do. And then when do these moral calculations actually involve a kind of going against your primary obligation. That's before we move to your other extreme, which is when it becomes this kind of blank check for anything you like. No, I, I agree with you. And uh, I think it all depends on the, the culture within which you live and the core moral principles of your society. How do you define your own self-interest? And I think part of most Western liberal democracies and the Jewish tradition, Christian, and I think Muslim as well, ethics claim us who we are all monotheistic faiths live under the principle that we're not supposed to just love God. We're also supposed to love neighbor. And therefore, how you treat strangers, how you treat others, how you go to war is part of my responsibility to my society. Because how my society acts depends on the ethical principles of my society. So that is abs- uh, th- that's clear. Um, the question is, and I know I'm pushing this over and again. See, do, when we look at Jewish sovereignty, like, look at, at your life, my life, Ilana's life. We get up in the morning, and I have two eggs, or I have a oatmeal. Do I sit there at that moment and say, one second, I'm having two eggs? Now, obviously, I'm coming according to the Torah that eggs aren't dangerous, you know, so depends on your, even for self-preservation, you know, that the problems are carbs, not proteins, but whatever that might be. Do I sit there? Does it does does normal life sit there all the time asking what's my moral imperative? And the question is whether statehood, real statehood, doesn't give you that same right. Now, at the same time, if someone's knocking on your door and he's starving and you're there stuffing the third egg in, what there's a moment where you are demanded to transcend. But there's something about the normalcy of sovereignty just in which the Jewish people are leaving the Beit Midrash. And leaving the Beit Midrash means that moral considerations aren't the only moral considerations. Now, at the same time, that's once you recognize that, then there's now room to say, okay, you're not doing morality now. You're doing, self, you're doing self-interest, as it's okay, like every country does. Self-interest yeah. is morality too, though, right? No, but I'm saying no, that pal. Right. That's where you and I are disagreeing. Yeah. It's not morality. Yes. And I'm saying that it's even healthier to recognize it's that. It's okay it's, to it's, turn the volume down on that, you're saying. Right. More than that, because only if you do, could then somebody, could you then activate and say, what are my moral principles? Because if I by see. definition, every war I go to is post-Holocaust moral, then I'm never acting immorally. So I would much a, rather very, act out of I mean, self-interest, much rather, and then I pause it and say, excuse me, what are your red lines? Because yeah. the other way, there are I no red you. lines. So, Daniel, what, what you're saying, it's pretty interesting, is what you're saying is if I call everything I do moral and I'm constantly kind of defending everything as moral, then at the end of the day, nothing is really, I'm never really having that conversation because I'll justify everything in those Everything. Terms. Let me acknowledge let me acknowledge that in the business of sovereignty, my hands get dirty and I don't always have it on the radar screen all the time. And I'm just in the business of taking care of myself in the real world. And then the discussion about what my limits are becomes more real, right? That's, that's And then morality saying. actually has a chance because let's take the case. And I think this is worthy. I don't know a lot about it, but it's, it's, a, it's a major issue. Take arms sales. If by definition, every arms sales that I make 
is grows out of my moral imperative to strengthen the state of Israel, then I could sell to whoever I want to sell. There are no limits because every weapon that I sell is an expression of my moral responsibility to self. But if I recognize that arms sales and trade is part of the way that I'm looking after the well-being of my citizens and their, their normal everyday interests, then I will sit down and say, okay, now who don't I sell arms to? What happens when, when, when I know that these arms are going to be sold to somebody who's going to kill children and women? And, and by the way, it's not just children or women that are immoral here. Men, it's also immoral to kill. What, then, I so, could have, then I could say, I how you. much? Okay, so yeah. here it is. You know, it's funny what you're saying. Let's get to the limits in a second. But I'm reminded, I always use this line from Natan Sharansky that you don't take the chosen people and put them in the Holy Land and ask them to be normal, right? They have to be special. And what's interesting about what you're saying is that it's precisely the acceptance of being normal that enables you to take seriously when that normalcy is dangerous or when you've crossed some kind of line. And this expectation that you're special all the time is going to end up as this kind of legitimizer or justifier for everything. Yeah, like and annex- so- and we're not talking about annexation today, but this is also just a lens on the issue. As the lens in it is, if annexation is all about morality, then you've taken up all the space. But if you could recognize that I'm annexing maybe because like every country, I like land, or I'm annexing because I believe that the Jewish people uh, were given this land by God, make your claim. And then I could talk to you and say, what about rights of Palestinian people? And then you have to ask yourself, what is their moral demand of you? And then you could begin a moral conversation. So we're trying to map out different ways in which this kind of tension between power and morality can play out, right? So if I, I want to kind of help help our listeners make some, some set or some order here, one thing is to talk about power as this moral force for good, necessary for self-preservation, which is a moral good, self-interest is a moral good, and everything is moral. Another thing is to say, well, if I care too much about what's moral in terms of universalistic terms, this is a point I was making before, then I might actually be doing something immoral in relation to my own citizenry that I have an obligation. And you're now saying a separate position, which is to say, recognize your hand gets dirty. This is normalcy. This is the business of sovereignty. And then you can take more seriously hard edges where that moral reality comes into question. So let's go to those hard edges uh, Donia, when is it not okay to get your hands dirty for you or for, for someone who wants to, to frame it in this way? This is one of the that most difficult questions that I struggle with all the time because I know there has to be limits and I'm constantly frightened that normalcy and status quo will, will sort of, will allow me to cross those limits. I'm, I'm, one of the things that I know is that when I stop defining myself in moral terms, at least I am more open to even thinking morally. So if we go to morality of war, I think there's a really interesting distinction. You go to war, the one theory is the once you're at war, if it's a legitimate war, do everything you need to do in order to win. Israeli code of ethics, just like most Western democracies, says no. You could use power, but it has to be proportionate to the danger you face. You have to worry about your own life, but you have to make sure that civilians, innocents, Prisoners of war don't get damaged. You have to do everything in your power to avoid these casualties, to avoid those casualties, including endangering your life. I would say that if 
I would test every country and ask, when is it that morality trumps self-interest? And that, that both, I want to see that discussion on a political realm, and that's something I've heard and learned from you all over and again. I want to hear those questions asked. I want to hear the struggles. And I want to hear sometimes where you are the Abraham to God and Stom and saying to your country, will the judge of the whole earth not deal justly? Will, will your pursuit of your country is, is, don't you, or like, have you no shame? Have you no shame? Now, it's, right. um, so innocents are clear, but it's this aspiration of recognizing you know, that, I'm, that I'm supposed to be, as you said, I'm supposed to be a real country, but I'm also supposed to be exceptional. Now, how do we balance that? I have, that's, if there's anything that keeps yeah. me up at night, and I, you know where I see it, Tal? Mm. I see how comfortable I am with the status quo in Judea and Samaria. I go to sleep at night. I used to go to movies. <laughs> <laughs> I have nice meals. I go and I give a speech. But the bottom line right. is, we've quieted it. And I'm wondering whether we've quieted that moral conscience because we've anesthetized ourselves with self-moral congratulation. It's that I want to hear that conversation. When there is that conversation, then I trust that a country, at least, well, we're never going to get it right, but at least you're in the ballgame. When I was listening to you, a, a couple of thoughts came to mind. The first is that, you know, why... What what role does this kind of the grand uh, idea of what's hateful unto you don't do unto others play in uh, in this uh, dynamic on the world stage? Uh, because after all, I would expect any other country with power to pursue its self interest. It's part of the game in a certain sense, but there's a tension because that's not the only question that is operating. Um, in, in a, I think even in the Zionist story, right, the Zionist story itself is not just about the Jewish people being able to advance the Jewish agenda. Returning to the world stage in and of itself is about our contribution to the world, right, and what the values of the world, how the, the world operates. And so in, in a sense, I think in a way we narrow or impoverish the, the, the promise of Zionism when we talk about Israel only through the pursuit of self-interest and not actually having morality as a constraint on self-interest, being itself a self-interest, if you know what I mean. Yes. Right? Do you know what another way of saying it would be? How does this sound to you, Tom? What's hateful unto you, do not do unto others, is a good rule of thumb. But very often, the way you're supposed to treat other people is not the way you would want to be treated, but the way they want to be treated. <laughs> and so, so, so between what's hateful unto you, do not do unto others... And the other hand, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Where your standard is not others, is a higher one. Yep. The, I, what I want from my Israel, what makes me excited about being a Zionist, is that political discourse has to entail this tension. Now, as long as I feel it, then I, like, I, Prime Minister, the President Rivlin, I could disagree with people on so many political consequences. Yeah, as long it's, as they're grappling. Are you, are you, do I hear it? Do I hear it? Yeah. It's when I don't I hear it a, yeah. that it's like, it, okay, now we're, we, we're like a nation like all other nations. We've given up on holiness. Yeah. And, or what's more dangerous, is when we anoint ourselves as moral regardless of what we do. That yeah. is... The, the deepest moral danger that any yeah. country could I, ever 
Uh, that's the precedent I, I mean, that we can cross. We may have to leave this for another time, but I, I am. There is a question here about how unique we are to other countries, certain Western countries as well, that put that limit on. I did want to add one extra idea before bringing uh, Ilana Ilana in to study some text with us, and that is simply that one of the I think unique things about Israel is that we do ask a lot of our citizens. We do ask for sacrifice in a in a serious way, and when you ask for sacrifice, I think. Self-interest gets you so far, but if you can't attach that sacrifice to a bigger idea, to a bigger aspiration in a meaningful way, I think there's a risk that you kind of wear out the, uh, the commitment to this project more in general. And so I think there's a, it's, it's paradoxical, I guess, but there's a self-interest in being about more than self-interest, right? It, there's a there's a real value in, in in investing in a society that, on the one hand, understands that this is normalcy and this is realpolitik and so on, but never disconnects from the question of what is the bigger aspiration, because then even the pursuit of self-interest it becomes a little bit easier if as long as you do it honestly. And I think your your point about honesty here and honesty requiring you to kind of allow yourself to to be comfortable with a little bit of dirty hands is a very important one. Ilana, help us think about how this idea has been kind of spoken about a little bit in, in some classic Jewish texts. We'd love to hear it. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Great to be here. One of the things that's coming out of your conversation is actually the fact that power becomes suspect when we're talking about us versus them. And I think that has great resonance within Jewish texts, because when you're powerless, the idea that you have to focus on the us, of course you have to focus on the us. But when you have power, that's where the litigation begins of how much of my power is used to protect, to flourish, to have normalcy for us, and how much of my power is concerned with them. And I wanna look at two texts that admittedly are not about statecraft because we don't have too many rabbinic texts that are about statecraft, right? Two texts, one of which is about the individual, one is about the collective, one where the, the stakes are so severe and so obviously severe, and the other where the stakes are a little bit more about normalcy, a little bit more about flourishing. So the first text is famous, which basically means I know it, right? The first text is from the Talmud in Bometzia, 62a, where we talk about two people traveling on a road, there's only one bottle of water. And of course there's power in this because one of them owns the bottle and brought it. And if both of them drink, they'll both die. But if one of them drinks, that person will make it to civilization. So we have two approaches here. The son of Petura says, it's better that they both drink and die so that neither one of them sees the death of their fellow, right? Better to die a martyr on the sword of your morality than to actively, and it's not passive, you're drinking, actively use your power to save yourself at the expense of someone else. That was the law until Rabbi Akiva came and taught from Leviticus, your brother's life is with you. He taught that morally, your life takes precedence over the life of your fellow. And here we see dramatized what you guys were talking about as almost the Holocaust thinking, right? Which is when it comes to my self-defense, when it comes to helping my people actually avoid imminent danger, then actually it's a moral idea in Judaism. I understand it comes from the individual and we'd have to extrapolate to the collective. It's a moral idea to save my own even if it means there's an expense to someone else. 
that is not a comfortable idea for a lot of people today. It's not a comfortable idea, but it is a Jewish idea. Where I find you, Ilana, you really think that that idea is not comfortable? You live in that really that that in, in when life versus life. That even in that case, life versus life, you would argue I that it think isn't. it is. I think it is very hard for people to say that out loud and feel that as a moral imperative to say, no, our blood is redder. And it's not that our blood is redder. It's that we have a responsibility to our blood. And no, then it's exactly. Cannot, it's not our blood is but, redder. Correct. It's not that I am more, but I have a responsibility I, to it. Ilana, if the other guy had had the water, he would have drunk it, right? People oh, actually connected to sort of a Christian turn the other cheek and that this is actually a real polemic actually going on here where Rabbi Akiva is saying, no, no, no. The only way someone can live with you is if you're alive. The only way someone can live with you is if you're alive. There's a responsibility that you have. But I do think that our blood is redder versus we have a responsibility to our own. It's very hard for people to experience the difference between those two. Even as I'm arguing, I believe there is a difference between those two, right? There is a difference. I want to look at the other text so that we can have something to compare right. it to. The other text is an earlier text, actually, of the same tractate. It's an earlier text that has a different kind of stake. It's not, it's not always so clear that it's my life versus your life. There might be something else more tall, what you were bringing in as normalcy, right? Or Daniel's self-interest. So we have the case of a spring. This is the Tosefta in Bava Metziah, chapter 11. The case of a spring, which belongs to the people of a town. What happens if there is enough water to drink only for the townspeople or for others in another town? So, of course, the townspeople take precedence in the drinking water over others, right? That's fine. That's Rabbi Akiva. We've seen that before. But now it's going to get a little more difficult. What happens if there's enough water to save the townspeople and their animals? Or there's enough water to save the lives of the other people who are not in the town? So it's me and my animals versus other people's lives. That's where we have an argument. The first opinion says the lives of others, of course, take precedence over the animals of the townspeople. What are you even thinking? Humans and animals, what are you even thinking? And then comes Rabbi Yossi and he says, no, I disagree. The townspeople's animals take precedence over the lives of others. Wow. When you get to this, you ask yourselves, well, we're obviously now talking about pets. We're not talking about, you know, your, your dog or your cat. We're talking about maybe the animals have to do with economics, right? They plow for you. You travel on them. Maybe they have to do with some sort of safety. If you're going to travel, better to travel by animal, but on foot. But it's definitely not the same. The stakes are not the same as if I don't drink, I'm going to die. And my people drink first. I'm allowing for something more. And the last example is even more intense. What if there is enough water to save others or to do the laundry of the townspeople? Yeah, you're making that face because yeah, the Tal, right? So of course, argument, one says the lives of others takes precedence over the laundry of the townspeople. Of course, I mean, who would ever think otherwise, right? Your two egg scenario, Daniel, someone is knocking on the door and they have no eggs. Of course I should give them. Of What, what kind of luxury is this? Comes again, Rabbi Yossi. He says the laundry of the townspeople come before the lives of others. Now this is very, very difficult to understand. I think there are two ways to read this. One way to read this is to say, 
you know what, the laundry, if you don't do the laundry, maybe it's going to be a hygiene problem. Maybe it's <laughs> going to cause problems in the future, right? <laughs> now, leave that. Well, don't make this. it moral. It's too interesting. There's another way to read it. There's You're another trying way to read too it. hard. <laughs> the no, there's no, another we... way to read it, which is, that's actually the way societies function. If Absolutely. we look at where our money is spent, if we look at where our resources are spent, yeah. our resources are not spent on saving everybody's lives around the world. You want to know what I'm hearing you talk. It was something came to me, and I think we should probably deal with this together in, 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 in an upcoming session. When you said, what does the society do? Every society does its own laundry. Every society gives money to, to roads and to the well-being of its citizens all more than it gives to foreign aid. You're absolutely right. But you know what's interesting? I think there's a different standard when we judge, when we act on our own or when we're assessing somebody else. And the whole issue of criticism and assessing so, from far away, it, it actually, when you're so close, you get used to the smell. You don't even have any sense. Now the question is whether you have that responsibility or not. Um, but I think you're right. Every country works that way. The question is, and I, would, I wanna ask you, you, know, you brought two sources. I feel claimed by each one of them and that's why I'm in trouble. Like if I just did the Tosefta, okay, I'm 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 home free. Israel, do your laundry as much as you can in the Middle East and plague beyond ever. It's I'm claimed by both of them. Um, and how do you work out? How do you live with both of them, Ilan? Well, look, I I think that this text, even this latter text, first of all, it's an argument. It's a machloka. Rabbi Yossi is the lone voice here. He's not the anonymous multitude. Majority. And I think that's really important. There has to be an argument about that. If there's no argument about that, then you've made morality trivial. If there's no argument between those two voices of our their lives, our laundry, we have a problem. The other thing is, I think this text presents such a, a, an extreme version, which is there's scarcity of one resource, right? And so Rabbi Yossi says, I need that resource. And the, I'm gonna take that resource, be I think there's actually a lot more multidimensionality here, right? The question of when you do one thing in one arena, can you do something else in another arena to be able to help those other people? Here it's so zero sum, it's so zero sum. Yeah. That's not the way life should be and it's not the way it is. You know, Ilana, what's what's so striking in the, in the second test of Tosefta for me was how, how shocking I found the question. I mean, we all find the question and yet you think about it for a second, as you say, and said, well, well, that's what we do. So maybe, you know, one of the takeaways from this is simply that, and it may be, Donil, this pushes, pushes against you a little bit. I'd like to hear how you respond to it. Maybe the problem is the normalcy, right? We, we uh, treat it as normal that we should do our, our laundry and it takes the precedence. And maybe the issue is, no, I need to think about that. I need my normalcy to be questioned all the time. And so that I have this kind of constant nagging feeling that maybe I'm not doing what I need to do. Uh, Donil, can you, can you tell me if you live comfortably with your normalcy argument in light of what I said? I would say all of us, Ilana, Tal, myself, we live just fine. <laughs> with 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 doing laundry, and we don't um, we don't constantly berate ourselves and ask what did I just spend on food versus what I spent what I'm having steak tonight. The reality is we don't do that. 
On a na- but what we don't do on a personal level, on a national level, it gets it gets um, amplified, because here you see the difference, but or the connection between your individual policy, and and uh, and a and a, and a na- on a larger scale where the where the where the distortion is much clearer, and even there, I think it's okay. But as I go back to. What are the other voices? And that's, that's why, Ilana, the, the bringing of those two sources are so critical. Because I would, if all we had was the, was the Tosefta and the laundry, no. I love Ben Petura. You know, and remember in our tradition, we mentioned Ben Petura. We could have wiped him out, just like we did a lot of other Christians. We could have wiped him out. He's only mentioned once. No one would even know. Like, what do I, it's not like I had this whole thing is when we mention Ben Petora, is I want you to be claimed by it. I want you to be, even if you override it, I want you to be claimed by it. There is a place where morality has to challenge you, has to challenge you about your laundry. Listen, that's what happens when you have refugees, when you have, you always have limited resources. And it definitely even has to challenge you when your life is in danger. Every country has to ask itself, when are you willing to endanger yourself for the sake, as Tal, you mentioned, for your deeper sense of self. The Tosefta here posits a very clear us and them dichotomy. And I think there's another moral voice that asks us to consider what if we're all part of the same town? And that I think is really complicated, especially when there's deep conflict and violence between the different townspeople. So I want to end with that. That's a beautiful thought to, to end this conversation on. You know, Daniel and Alana, when, when we talk about for heaven's sake and arguments for the sake of heaven, we're, we're really trying to find the the degree of discomfort we have by embracing completely one position. And I think in this conversation, it's kind of felt quite powerfully. Yes, you can understand power and self-interest and in a way that the kind of demands of self-preservation, especially on the Jewish people. Yes, you can understand the commitment to the kind of this broader morality, but in a way, commitment to either of those in a complete sense has its its kind of risks and almost failings. Uh, in a way, as as uh, Daniel and Ilana, you were just talking in a minute, I was thinking back to Israel's Declaration of Independence itself, and it has this kind of tension built in it, right? It's, it is about the Jewish people's story, self-preservation, the Holocaust, our connection to the land, our historic us, 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 us. And then it has all these higher aspirations that are about the world and who we might be. And the well-being of all the citizens. Yes, exactly. And 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 I think that 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 kind of I don't know whether being comfortable in each of those spaces, I might say being uncomfortable in each of those spaces is is something that I think is 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 required of us, is required of us in a way. So uh, first just thank you so much for that conversation and Ilana uh, for those wonderful texts. Uh, And thank you all for listening to our show. For heaven's sake is a product of the Shalom Hartman Institute and the I Engage program. This episode was edited by David Svi Kalman and our managing producer is Dan Friedman with music provided by So Called. Uh, To learn more about the Shalom Hartman Institute, visit us online at shalomhartman.org. We want to know what you think about the show so you can write to us at forheavenssake at shalomhartman.org. Subscribe to our show on in the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, SoundCloud, and everywhere else podcasts are available. Look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel and Ilana. Nice Thank being you. with you. Bye. Bye. Take care.